Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, it's uh, another uh, evening of uh, Things Worth Considering. And there's lots of things worth considering. Now, last week we talked about the uh, sort of trendy new phrase out there of uh, spiritual but not religious. And that's, uh, that's becoming very popular. In fact, on some, some uh, uh, applications and so on, you're beginning to see it show up as, you know, just the letters of, you know, spiritual but not religious. So S-B-N-R. If you ever see that, now you know what it means. Um, so what we're we're wanting to do is to move forward with, you know, sort of the, there is a real commonality that exists between religious practice and spiritual practice. We're going to look at spiritual practice today, but uh, there's a commonality there, and that's the fact that there's ritual. Right, Jan? Absolutely. You want to do a ritual? Okay, let's talk about rituals. Rituals, so when we think about spiritual practice, right, ritual actually forms the foundation of spiritual practice. So um, so this is why it's kind of important to talk about rituals, because what are rituals, right? Um, So a ritual is, if you think about it anthropologically, is a a sequence of events that uh, involves things like gestures, words, and objects. Um, It's performed usually in a sequence, um, and in a particular place often. And it's a, it's performed according to like a set sequence. So it has often stages and opening and a closing and a middle, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so um, and so ritual is actually rooted in historical process. Yep. It changes over time sometimes, but the whole idea of ritual is to keep it consistent. From the time before, and the time before, the time before, and the time before, the time before, the time before. The, time the before, human mind right? loves that. Yeah. And so it's to keep, it's looking for consistency. It's trying to shape consistency. So it's rooted in traditions of a community. Often this includes a religious community, but it's not only a religious community. And it grows within a shared community. Right. right, and it, it's a it's a way of convey, conveying a shared meaning within that community, and mm-hmm. creating and recreating that meaning over and over and over. Well, you know, I think that the the uh, you know sort of the up and coming has <laughs> been around for like two thousand years, uh, or well, a little bit less. Is the Catholic Church? I mm. mean, they really knew and saw this the whole thing of creating ritual. And it's very ritualized. What was interesting when it was when it was only in one language up before Vatican II is uh, uh, you could go anywhere in any church in any language and you knew exactly how what was going to mm-hmm. take place because it was just so as you're saying it was you know a series of events that are like, over a period of time and 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 people just memorized them they just knew how to do it. Yeah, so it's quite unifying. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Very unifying, but it's very calming. Yeah. Very calming. Very comforting. And if it's all done in Latin, for example, if there's a special a special language for a particular ritual, mm-hmm. then uh, or a particular series of rituals, or in the Catholic Church, then it means that people who are separated by language or culture will at least share that aspect of their culture, Absolutely. like of their shared culture, yeah, yeah. right through yeah. ritual. Yeah, I mean that that shifted a little bit since you know uh, moving away from the fact that everybody had to be able to at least follow along in Latin mm. um, when you know there was a shift to having this you know being done in your local language. 
kind of thing. But I, I'm always just in awe of their ability to have seen this. Well, you know, mm. psychologists are just still talking about it now uh, uh, in terms of, you know, our uh, amygdala and all of those things of repetition. Mm-hmm. They saw mm-hmm. that. They saw how that worked. Not only that, but they, the, the early uh, Catholics also tied it into um, you know, like for instance, Easter is totally tied into the festival of Easton, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a lunar. That's why it keeps changing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so all of those kinds of things. I just thought there's a lot of brilliance that was there. Right, but ritual itself existed like long before the Catholic oh, Church. Long, right, it's an like integral part. They, they 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 you know cottoned on to that and, and yeah. piggybacked it so yeah. that the locals wouldn't go. This is weird. Yeah, it's an integral part of human organization. Mm, right. Absolutely. So even very what we might think of as very air quotes, simple, meaning sort of non uh, organizationally complex cultures have and families have, uh, have have all sorts of different kinds it's of rituals. Right. So, you know, one of the things about the Catholic Church is interesting. It it demonstrates a particular kind of ritual that is linked to formalism, right, where you actually have kind of a restricted code that only certain people can do. Right, so it's not everybody participates in an equal way. Right. So think about the priest. Right, the priest uh, has has a very very special role, and that doing that special role actually solidifies his power in the community because he's the only one who can lead that. So if he's not there, it's there not ain't no ritual. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just the traditional element of that. You know, as I said, families have it. Yep. You know, my family has certain ways that, you know, certain certain holidays throughout the year are done. Mm. Same food. Well, not the same. We go and buy fresh stuff. But, you know, it's, it's the same <laughs> yeah, yeah. sorts of food. Uh, sometimes it feels like it was for last year. Um, <laughs> the um, What do they call it? That cake, the fruit cake. Uh, that's, uh, isn't that's, that usually from often yeah, 20 yeah. years ago, dug out at the back of your fridge? Yeah, but at least 20 years ago, there's probably somebody who actually made it. Yeah. As Ew. opposed to buying it. Ew. And they would have spent a year making it. Ew. So, but yes, exactly, exactly. Um, mm. So yeah, so that, that traditional element of it is uh, what sustains it, really. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. oh, this is coming up. And, and certainly advertisers really play on that, you know, the traditional of it. You know, two months in advance, hey, Christmas is coming just mm-hmm. before Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and too, like in contemporary culture as well, things become highly symbolic, right? So the psych kind of approach is around looking at the way in which rituals actually create a belongingness, a psychological sense of belongingness in people and solidify communities, help them grow together because they have a shared sense of identity. Yes. And it's interesting because often the identity is imagined. So if you think about it, right? Um, the, do you know, we're in Canada. So do you know every Canadian in Canada? No. Not today. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and for our American listeners, do you know every American in America? No. But what keeps those national identities together is a sense that you can bump into somebody and say, oh, I'm American. Oh, I'm American too. And that there'll be some imagined sense of shared values. Right. 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 So the national community is actually an imagined community, imagined around imagined shared values that are reinforced through rituals. So some of the some of the rituals that might reinforce uh, that sense of community might be something like uh, tailgating parties. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Independence Day is a great example, right? Right. Um, Or TV commercials in the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, well, right? Well, how about the Super Bowl itself? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Super that's Bowl very itself. Unifying. Although I just watched the commercials. Um, <laughs> things like trick or treating, right? What's Which that? is a North American no, I know. Uh, phenomenon, right? Very okay. much so. Very much a North American yeah. phenomenon. How about the turkey pardoning by the president? That one makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Every Thanksgiving, there's some lucky turkey. And that's a tradition. Yeah. Absolutely. Or black. And, and it's a ritual, right? It's yeah. very much an aspect of a ritual. Yeah. Um, Easter egg hunt. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the White House. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, black Friday shopping, maybe. Well, Careful, if don't you are into shopping, uh, yes, I would say so. Yeah. Anyone who could line up at you know five in the morning in order to break through doors to, to save some money, I can't do that. But yeah. um, I love watching it on TV. Yeah, but anything where you can say, oh, yeah, doing that is uh, part of the American uh, identity. Memorial Day. Or doing that is part of the Canadian identity or doing that is part of the Swedish identity or whatever it is, right? Memorial Day or Veterans Day in the States. Remembrance Day here. Yeah. These are all things that. Very high, you know, formalized and traditional. Everybody does it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, um yeah, so that's ritual, the role of ritual. Rituals can include a whole bunch of things, like uh, we've already mentioned, but things like worshiping, worship rites, uh, sacraments, rites of passage, or purification rites, yep. oaths of allegiance. That's true. Uh, dedication ceremonies, coming of age ceremonies. Right, the debutante parties. Yep, exactly. Yes. Uh, coronations or presidential inaugurations. Yes, uh, marriages, funerals, graduations, the big life events. Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. Yeah. Yep. And club meetings or sporting events, right? The Grey Cup. The, yep. uh, well, that's a Canadian one. The the uh, uh, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the uh, Stanley Cup. All those things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and that's that really brings a lot of people together. Yep, it really does. Yeah, yeah, it's quite amazing, actually. Yeah, uh, the, the the few times that Toronto actually got near somewhere professionally was quite two years in a row with the Toronto Blue Jays with baseball uh, when uh, we won the World Series. It was like just something none of us had ever encountered before hmm. uh, downtown. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, there's no violence, but it was absolutely crazy. Well, you'll hear this a lot too, right? When things happen that uh, sort of on a national level where some of the media coverage will be around, this is not what Canadians do, or this is not who we are, or this is not what, you know, this is not a part of American culture or whatever, right? So it 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 also becomes a way of sort of uh, – um, like the identity piece becomes a way of, of maintaining social control in some ways, right? So there's this shared uh, symbolic meaning of something, not only of who we are, but who we aren't. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? exactly. Often that comparison in North America takes place often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, what else uh, What else around that? Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's just so many of them, we, and I don't think we realize, I mean, you know, uh, we can go into some other ways, but... You know, just just how we get out of bed in the morning, mm. and and what you know, do you go and get a coffee? Do you go and have breakfast immediately, and then get in the shower? Do you shower first? Blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, does your left leg go into the right leg first? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's you a know. personal ritual. Your personal ritual, yeah. absolutely. And you know, what's fascinating is is when I bring this up to students and and get them to look at their personal, and and have them try it differently. Some of them don't have to because they've done it differently when they're very late and they mm-hmm. don't get the shower in and they don't get, you know, they sort of grab everything on the run, no food. Uh, and they're a mess all day. Mm-hmm. 
like the people just don't bring you know uh, uh, themselves around if their personal ritual gets upset. Yeah, our whole day is personal ritual. Mm-hmm. From the way you answer a phone to the way you drive to the way you back out of a car or back out of the driveway, uh, go to bed, get out of bed, uh, make coffee, everything. It's, yep. We're, we are so highly ritualized. Yeah, and those kinds of rituals, those personal rituals, are not necessarily things that we think of as being formal. They're not usually not formal. Mm-hmm. They're just we just They're make formal, them up and do we them. do them when we do them over and over and over. Yep. They're just habitual, right? Yeah. So Try and missing one though, and that's one of the one of the. Um, one of the qualities of ritual is that you notice when it's changed, when there's invariant, like there's usually, we try to maintain stability so that we try not to have variance in it, right? But if there is variance, that's when we notice it. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're so, we're so, you know, uh, used, you wanting to be used to everything. And it kind of, then we get bored and then we well, don't know why. Yeah, and that also fits in with this idea of performance. So ritual is something that is performed and it's part of a process. And so when we think of the performance aspect of it, it's not just about knowing who we are. It's about performing who we are, right? This is me in the morning. This is me driving to work. This is you know me sitting here talking to you kind of thing. So it's performance is not is not just about ritual? seeing is believing, right? Which yep. is what we usually think. It's also doing is believing. It's through the act of doing that we we reify and we acknowledge who it is that we are. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So this is really important when we think of identity construction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's when you move up into, into some of the, the uh, you know, at the political level or the judicial level, uh, you know, anything like that that has a lot of tradition around it, you mm-hmm. know, regulation, you know, the opening of parliament or the, this, you know, the, the speech from the throne, uh, you know, those kinds of things. They are so ritualistic. Yeah, jury trials. Yes, for example. Yes, right? absolutely. Who also, comes in at what time? Who leaves at what time? Yeah, uh, all of those things. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking of you know the opening of parliament, whether it's provincial or or uh, federal. As you know, who knocks on the door to, you know, and then who comes and opens it? And it's, it's like. I, I find it fascinating because it's just mm-hmm. so old. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so old. It's the same as is when when the president does his his uh, um, you know uh, his speech in the house is you know he knocks on the door and it's like the president of the United States is invited into the house. You know, it's quite fascinating mm-hmm. how we how we started these and and you know God forbid that we would ever change those. Right. There would be hell to pay. Yeah. Nancy and, Pelosi would, would be the one that would give us. But yeah. <laughs> the idea of not changing it, though, is exactly what ritual is about. Because in this topsy-turvy, crazy world, it's kind of nice to know, A, that you can predict what's going to happen and that certain things won't change, right? Yeah. Grandma's always the one who leaves her, her shoes there and does this, this, and this on Christmas Day or whatever. Or her right? teeth on the counter or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, if, if there's anything that has regulations or traditions around it, then that m- will make something ritualistic. Okay. Right? So it has to have that element to it. That regulation. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. Because everything we've talked about, you know, in terms of, yeah. of all these other areas, all have the regulated. Yeah. So like even handshaking or saying hello, you know, or it can be an absence of ritual in a way which makes it ritual getting in the elevator and standing there. Oh, <laughs> and right? staring. Yeah. Yes. Not talking to anybody. Just watching, watching the numbers, the numbers. like suddenly they're going to change. Yeah. You know, they'll go out of order or something. That can be a form of ritual. <laughs> Not in a formal sense. Not in a formal, but in, but in a popular culture sense. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? 
I think we need to take a break here because we have uh, moved through the first segment already. Uh, this is a fascinating area. I love the area of ritual. I love the area as, as it ties into performance, especially mm. because you know, really, you know, theater comes out of religion. Mm-hmm. You know, going way, way back is is and out of that is all the ritual. So, uh, which I'm quite fascinated by. Anyways, uh, we will be back on the other side. And this is uh, Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, uh, Things Worth Considering. And we'll be right back after this message. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, we're back. This is Gordon Riddell, and this is Jan Hill from the uh, Transformational Arts College in Toronto, and uh, we are being broadcast on Radio America. Uh, We're talking about ritual as it relates to spiritual practice, as it relates to our whole life. Um, We've been talking about the traditions that are in our lives that are very much ritual. And uh, we have a couple of uh, interesting uh, uh, anthropology words here, ethic and emic. Where do they come from? 
I don't even recognize those words. Yeah. I must have missed that class. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, so uh, ritual was has been uh, sort of most popular, popularly understood to be have been studied by anthropologists, especially in the last couple hundred years, okay. so uh, with the rise of anthropology. And so these are anthropology words, right? And right. they kind of describe the relationship that happens when you're looking at ritual. So if you think about it, if you are – an observer, like an anthropologist might be, going to yes. a different community and looking from the outside into the community, then you are you are doing what you might call an emic study. So you're looking from the outside of the community, okay. looking at white, what might seem irrational or illogical mm-hmm. within the community that's doing the ritual. And something might seem rather mysterious to the outsider and not understood. So the job of the emic um, um, study or observer is to try and make sense of okay. something that's going on in somebody else's culture, right? right? Okay, so that's kind of an interesting endeavor, but it's a completely sort of different process than somebody than the word uh, etic suggests, because etic is what happens when you're looking, when you're in within the ritual, looking at everybody doing the ritual, and you're part and part, you're part of it, you're participating, you're having a good time, whatever. So you're looking at the ritual from inside the community as a member that is actually doing the ritual. So we think of other people uh, who are looking at us doing the ritual right. as not really being able to understand what the ritual is about. And this creates a whole lot of discourse, interesting discourse amongst the people who do the ritual. And the people who observe the ritual and are trying to understand it. So this is an interesting thing to think about in your own life, right? When you're walking down the street, you see other people doing things that you're like, what are they doing, right? A parade goes by, something (laughs) happens, right? Or you're watching television, you're noticing things, right? It's it's kind of, it's not, it's, it's part of the whole study of ritual is caught in this process of, of presumed misunderstanding. And I would say actual misunderstanding. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It is. Right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially when you look at spiritual, religious, uh, um, you know, ritual of any kind, like someone's always interpreting it for yeah. trying to for somebody else and coming up with a theology of it or the liturgy or whatever. Um, and and people don't like it often, mm-hmm. you know, or they're like they're not getting this. Mm-hmm. So often when they study ritual now, you'll have anthropologists, sociologists, whatever, uh, collecting data from the outside and trying to make sense of it. But at the same time, they're collecting data from people inside. So from they're trying inside. to do something that's more ethnomethodological, right? That actually, actually that was a really says big to people. Word. You, you didn't even trip on it. There you go. That actually <laughs> says to people, right, is what is it that you're doing? Explain this to me. And yes. then on the outside, they put a framework on it. Because when you're in doing it, you might not notice the ways in which what you're doing actually actually maintains stability in your community. Right. Right? Or creates that sense of belonging. Well, and it creates a different sense of your experience of yeah. people. Because you're going to go into an altered state of yeah. some sort. You know, whether whether it's just like elevated or, you know, loving or an ecstatic, rapturous, spiritual something. Yeah. You know, who knows? Exactly. It depends what the ritual is. But uh, that changes how we would view anything. Yeah. You know what I find really interesting, though, is that um, is that in psych the term ritual is uh, is used in a technical way, and yes. it's often used to describe uh, repetitive behavior, behavior. Yeah. like an OCD, 
right? Behavior that's designed to, ritualistic behavior that's designed, ritualized behavior that's designed to reduce anxiety. Now, see, this is where where it tells us how important it is. Because here's someone Mm -hmm. with an affliction that is really, really awful. And yet they have somehow designed some sort of a ritual. And some of them are quite, that I've worked with, quite outrageous. Uh, Like, they came up with that. No! They found that they could create some sort of a ritual that actually made the the anxiety that they experienced begin to reduce itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, it really. I mean, it's it's, it's tragic. Uh, you know, sometimes what they're going through, but at the same time, it's like, how smart are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. be able to come up with some of this stuff. Yeah, know? and you can create rituals to uh, actually undermine the concern or the worry, the anxiety mm-hmm. that you're that you're that okay. I'm going to say this backwards, but um, because it's basically saying exactly what you said, right? You create ritual to eliminate the anxiety, but you can also create ritual to eliminate the ritual that created the, that you needed to create to the anxiety. So here's an example, right? Is that a pill? Yeah, should be. Um, But so here's an example. Here's an example. Uh, I pull out of my garage every day. I close my garage door with my little button in my car, right? Yeah. Every day. I drive about one and a half kilometers away and I go, oh my God, did I close my garage door Mm -hmm. every day? Okay. So I've created a ritual consciously around that so that when I'm driving away and I go a kilometer and a half away, I go, oh, did I close my garage door? I can go, oh, I did the ritual. So of course I did. So here's the ritual. doesn't matter what the weather's like. I actually have to, I push the button and I say to myself, I'm closing the door. Actually, I say it aloud. I'm in my car mostly by myself. I'm closing the garage door now. And I roll down my window and I look out, I actually crank my head outside my window. I look at the door, go down and I go, the door is closed. That's wild. Yeah. So roll out my window and then I get a kilometer half down the road and I go, did I close my garage door? And then I remember, yes, I did the ritual. Right. 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 Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like at Easter, you know, when people people uh, put the, uh, on Ash Wednesday, put the ash on their, on their yeah. head, it's, it's a reminder that they did the ritual. There you go. And to let everybody else know that they did the ritual too. So the rest of us feel bad who didn't do it. So that's actually an interesting uh, sort of structural, structuralist would argue that this is an interesting way to uh, create social control, right? Because totally. Because, yeah, what happens yes. is everybody else goes, oh, gee, I haven't done it yet. I better go. They do. It separates out the good I guess the good Christians from the bad ones. Well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I guess so. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Um, uh, uh, you know, but, but it does. It, people people who, who normally would practice that feel, oh, my God, you know, like I didn't go and do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, on Shrove, Shrove Tuesday, I mean, pancakes. What are you going to do? Walk up and down the street with pancakes? Mm-hmm. No. So we don't get to see that part, but that Ash Wednesday. They'll get you every time. Mm. But that's interesting because ritual was first used to mean something specifically religious in the 1600s. Prior to that, it just meant something that was done every day on a daily basis. Mm. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so that evolved in the 1600s. Right. Yeah. So that was that shift into understanding personal personal ritual versus. Yeah. And how, and how the personal constitution of self is actually maintained or enhanced uh, spiritually through ritual, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like do these 
do these things, say these Hail Marys, do whatever it is that you need to do, right, that you're told to do yep. ritualistically. And and you will, it's just what you were saying about the Ash Wednesday thing, right? And you will somehow be a better person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, you know, you stand facing the wall in, you will be, in Jerusalem. Yeah, you'll be absolved, right? Yep. So characteristics of uh, rituals in specific uh, religious contexts can be things like uh, special music, song, dance, um, manipulation of certain maybe safety sacred objects, um, mm-hmm. um, reciting fixed texts, uh, special gestures, words, uh, use of special and specific dress or symbols, food, yes. right? Yep. Uh, drink or even drugs. Drugs? Yeah. What kind of people are these? Yeah, they're the... But alcohol is certainly right up there, another drug. Yeah. I can't imagine going to anything that we've mentioned so far. Without mm-hmm. alcohol having been present, mm-hmm. you know, from mm-hmm. from the funeral to the birth of a child to the christening to the, uh, you know, and everything in between, mm-hmm. alcohol will be present. It gets the family speaking to one another. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, I think of too. I think of indigenous cultures and say their use of peyote. Yes. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, well, and, and now the the ayahuasca, you know, which is yeah. sort of becoming very popular as a. Uh, you know, sort of a way of accelerating or at least enhancing, uh, you know, that that spiritual experience. Yeah, and if we go back and we think about the Attic and Emic distinction, right, mm-hmm. is can somebody who is not from the tradition that has historically used uh, ayahuasca in a sacred manner, can we all fly down to Peru, do our, our ayahuasca journey, and come back and say, oh, I experienced the ritual. Well, okay, you did, but you did perhaps as an outsider, right? Like there's a lot of, depending on where you go for those kinds of retreats, there's a lot of emphasis that can be placed on how a Westerner's experience of the ayahuasca journey is different than somebody who is a part of the culture that totally. uses the ayahuasca historically and traditionally. Well, when you, when you talk about the, the peyote, uh, you know, the hope and, and uh, that, uh, the, the other tradition, traditional tribes in that area, when they do vision quests, yeah, when they go out into the woods by themselves, yeah. someone raised with that tradition mm-hmm. versus someone who flew in to mm-hmm. do one uh, is going to have a, I think it's going to have a very different. Yeah, and sweat lodges, right? Yes. And so that leads to whole discussions of colonization, right? The extension of colonization, and the utilization of other people's sacred rituals mm-hmm. out of their own uh, ethnocultural context, right? So you and I go create a sweat lodge, and we go in and we sit and we go, well, that was a good sauna, and I had a vision, right? <laughs> it's going to be like. It's going to be uh, a, a very different experience than somebody who is that part of their... And a tragic one, if you recall the one from about three or four years ago. I don't remember anything of that. Uh, so, yeah, someone outside of the culture who was running sweat lodges uh, in uh, the States, and he had a number of people in the sweat lodge, mm-hmm. and he wasn't letting them out. And people were like, you know... Like dying? People did die. People oh, my God. He's, he's, uh, as far as I know, he's in jail, but... Um, it was, yeah, it, it, it was like a, a forced, uh, uh, you know, that they had to stay there because they had to work through their anxiety of being in there and it being so hot. When in fact they were saying, we can't breathe. You know, it was, uh, yeah, look, look that one up. I, I'm, I'm without names. I know that I'm somewhere hmm. in uh, the Western states. Okay. Well, so. that's. Totally not what sweat lodges are. About. No, no, no. Keeping exactly, people exactly, imprisoned in a sweat I, lodge. But I, anyway, I thought you were heading toward you know just the fact that yeah. when we move yeah. outside of our own multicultural understanding, yeah. 
and try to do something like that, then we impose a lot of things that people can get hurt. Yeah, we colonize other people's cultures. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about spiritual practice specifically. Okay. Uh huh. I like those. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do it very often? Uh, well, I have my own thing. Because I'm spiritual, not religious. There you go. There you go, right? Would it it be a daily experience? Yep. (laughs) Yep. So it's an ongoing. Yeah, we can think of spiritual practices as sort of an ongoing activity or activities. It can be, you know, it can be lots, uh, which are kind of faith specific, or an individual creates these rituals, these practices. segments of behavior um, to in order to sort of ground themselves or connect with the spiritual, the divine, right? The divine essence. So it often involves connecting the senses, the body and mind, emotions, right? And you can do this within a group or you can do it individually. It's much more powerful in a group, I find. Yeah. The group uh, group meditation uh, like we do here on Fridays is is, or every other Friday, I I find those just wonderful. Yeah. Because it's hard to get that kind of an experience by yourself. Just to to have that abundance of energy in the room, just kind of floating around. You know, you can pull it in and, and... and, and actually, you can vis- visually see people like their posture change and, and their breathing, you know, deepens and so yeah. on throughout the course of the evening. Yeah, well, you can you can also feel, right, when you're in groups, the creation of bigger mm. energy than yourself, right? Yeah. So, and I don't think you need to be necessarily an energy-sensitive person. I think if you go a few times, you become an energy-sensitive person. So, <laughs> you know, you can feel you your own to, energy, yeah. but you, you just need to be trained. Others. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I've never I've never had anybody you know who's come like two or three times not begin to notice it in the room. Yeah, you know that in fact there's just a, a higher vibratory calmness. It's a stillness. It's a there's all kinds of language, but it's a, it's very much a personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it is yeah. important to have something that is personal about it for yourself, right? Something that's uniquely yours. Extremely. And and it can be done on your own or it can be done in groups, right? Yep. But, um, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, um, really, there, there's sort of um, um, a, whole, a whole slew of things that become part of, you know, spiritual practice from walking in the forest, mm-hmm. which is actually – which is something I love to do is to go walking um, and away from city traffic, but the smell and, and to be able to see birds and hear birds and just, you know, everything about that. The other, the other one around the forest then would be for me would be at the, at the sea, the uh, walking on a beach, you know, it's just the wind and the smell of the salt. And it's, I find it very, very uh, redeeming gardening. Is it yeah. Yeah. I'm real big with. Love gardening. I love watching things grow. Yep. You know, um, it's almost like that's the externalized of what I do professionally. Mm-hmm. Helping people to grow is I like seeing flowers grow. Yeah. Um, say nothing of my office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a jungle. Grow. It's a jungle. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, what else? What else do you do? Um, dancing, singing. Yep. Yep. You know those kinds of things. Anything that, that feels celebratory. Arts? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it can be uh, some creative expression of self. So it doesn't even have to be your ecstatic dance craziness, right? Oh, no, no. It can just be like, all. yeah. I mean, there's some ballets that are, are wonderfully ritualistic. Yeah. You know, that just really stand out as being just so magnificent. Yeah. Uh, on that magnificence, we have to stop here because we have to go to break. Sounds good. I know. Yeah. Um, we just fly through, don't we, on time? So uh, this is Jan Hill, Cordell. And we will be back on the other side of these commercials. 
Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca That's info at spiritgrows.ca Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, this is Things Worth Considering, and uh, we want to talk to you about Things Worth Considering. We're talking about spiritual practices today. Um, I think they're really important. I think they're really important for us uh, from a social perspective, from a society's perspective, and are really important for our individuals. Certainly lots of studies are out there that show the, you know, the impact of, of some of these, these things. Um, you know, there, there's two, two really important pieces here. One is, our, is the activities that we do, but the other one is our attitude around them. Yeah, baby. You know, we, that really, that's where we really tie mm. that brain piece in. You know, somebody, uh, uh, Carol and me, so I'm, you know, we're all big fans of, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. Uh, and one of her lectures said that uh, her spiritual practice was to uh, um, to read every book that ever came out in, on spirituality, and which point Carolyn Meese deadpanned her and said that that is not a spiritual practice. That is called reading. Mm-hmm. And I still, to this day, I mean, the third person was so deflated, you know, uh, and it is. That was she's reading, you know, and it, it's it's a way of separating, you know, ritual ritual and spiritual practice is about. Man, it doesn't have to be ritualized. I mean, it. You know, any spiritual practice, walking in the woods and talking to birds, is is something that we're completely immerse ourselves in. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, it's really, it, you can't, uh, I've never been able to do a spiritual practice as a stand outside. Yeah. <laughs> I think what Carolyn was saying, basically, to this person who said that reading was their spiritual practice, I think what, 
what the person meant was that perhaps, I don't know the person, and it wasn't me, but um, <laughs> perhaps what they were saying is reading is a way of getting in touch with their, their own desires for personal growth, and they can build their repertoire of personal growth techniques, right? So, but that's not to confuse the actual act of reading with its own spiritual practice, right? right? Right. And I think what what your point is, that's a really good point, is that spiritual practice is something that you experience now in this moment when you're walking in the woods. And I can give a great example. So uh, years ago, a few years ago, um, I had a cat. He lived many, many years, but he had two legs and he had no back legs and his name was Scooter. And I might've told you about yeah, it before. Totally about yeah. Scooter. So I used to get up in the morning and, uh, Scooter. what I would do, Scooter was amazing. And I would get up in the morning and on the way to the shower in my house coat, I would, you know, want to get happy for the day. And so I would grab Scooter who couldn't move as fast as the other cats, like scooting across the floor. And I hit my play button on my iPod and we do a little dance. We dance for a few minutes da, 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 on the way to the shower. And he'd be like, okay, <laughs> you know, crazy lady. And it happened yeah. every day. <laughs> right. And then I put him down and he'd like whoop, scoot off right under the bed or wherever he needed to go. Right. And then I'd be like, except for my day. So for me, that's, that was, it might look ridiculous to other people, but that was a way of um, invoking sort of spirit in my life because it was fun. It was about connecting with Scooter the cat. It was playful. It was about the energy of the morning. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. You know, it's that experience, you know, what gives us experience is our emotional attachment, our our, our emotional, I don't want to say attachment, our emotional participation uh, in it. You know, the, the, you know, certainly there's there's studies that tell us that the strongest memories that we have are those that have the most emotional charge to them. And that's good or bad, you know, mm. kind of thing. But, you know, certain things we're just not going to remember. We're, you know, we're not, not going to remember every single day yeah. of our lives, you know, because they weren't that impactful, I guess. But when we have that strong feeling that it, we're just charged by, um, you know, that that then creates just a whole new experience. Plus, if you get into like more complex, you know, emotions like like awe. Yeah. Uh, awe is one of those things that is really a spiritual experience. Uh, you know, when you're just in awe of the mountains or just the size of the ocean or anything. And that's actually a combination of happiness and fear. Huh. Where's the fear like, part? The fear part is just like the, oh, my God, look at how big that is. And there is an element of that that also elates. And that's that's uh, some of our complex feelings are this this combination of sort of the what we would call negative with a positive. And they, they create this sort of uh, much more complex and a spirit and spiritual kind of language that we use huh. uh, in terms of mystery and awe in uh, Awe being the one that really stands out for me. Yeah, awe is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'm not sure I would ca- for me as I'm thinking about this. I'm not sure I would call it fear. I think I would call it almost like an overwhelm. Well, yeah. And you I mean, might say overwhelm is a fear. form of fear, right. but I don't think it is. Well, I think I overwhelm is something different than fear. Right. Well, um, yeah. We'll, 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 we won't get symmetrical yeah. on that, but um, okay. Mm. Eh, we're disagreeing on this one. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at complex. Uh, emotions here um, yeah but all right let's let's uh, come into really big ones forgiveness yep gratitude yep gratitude it has been studied so much it is just like if you don't do gratitude like you're missing the the mental health wagon 
it's so important. That's, right. that's you know, and if you can't think of anything to be grateful for, just be grateful for those chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you know, start somewhere. But uh, you know, the fact that you had a chocolate chip cookie today or or whatever, that is just so critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we talk about gratitude. So what about, uh, you know, things like forgiveness? I think forgiveness is, is enormous. Uh, uh, and that's not about condoning. I think we get really confused. Forgiveness is not about condoning anyone's behavior. It's it's helping us not to keep, you know, uh, in such horrible feelings around what may have happened. Yeah. So, again, you're talking about this connection between activities and attitude, right? Attitude is so, so, so important. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Marsha Linehan, DBT, mm-hmm. uh, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, uh, she talks about radical acceptance. I love that word, radical acceptance, mm-hmm. because, you know, so many people we see are, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, I need to be here, I need to be there, uh, and, and I thought I would be in a different place in my life. And it's like, you know what, that's all, that's all poppycock, it, it's just irrelevant, and it's um, uh, it's a really important just to say this is where you're at because it's the only place you can start. Right, and the whole idea, right, that you can you can uh, um, that you need to accept something presupposes that you have some trajectory that you can actually control, exactly. and that's just silly, right? Well, it is. It is. You know, um, so we can we can get uh, caught up sometimes too in the spiritual practice becoming you know sort of everything. And end up, you know, having having what what is called a spiritual bypass, mm-hmm. and that is to totally, you know, find a way and using enough practices that we can just stop feeling, stop experiencing. Um, now, you know, the, there's an argument around this. Okay, Jack Canfield says says that we don't have them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he's so highly respected. I just disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you know, if an alcoholic. You know, it goes uh, when he quits drinking or she quits drinking and then goes to all these nonstop meetings, which, of course, it prescribes. Uh, and and uh, at the very beginning, 90 days, 90 meetings, in 90 days, um, people will say, oh, the, you know, they're that's that's what they're doing. You know, that's their bypass. My question is, would you rather have them drinking? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so when I say that around the bypass mm-hmm. is is that maybe sometimes people need to use certain crutches. We are using crutches all the time, you know, whether whether it's substances or whatever. And a spiritual bypass, you know, while it can be problematic in delaying where you're going, we can get caught up in that. I don't think it's a big problem. I, I don't know. I think that the fundamental question that you're asking is really around really does behavior – well, it is. Underneath there's a question, right, Is an assumption is that – and then, then there's a question that comes out of the assumption, which is that your behavior is – if you change the behavior, if you just take up a ritual and you do that, that somehow that will have a big impact on your spiritual sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. Your sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And that might be true. It might. But if you just go through the the mechanisms, if you just go and do your prayer, but you have no attitude around it, you have nothing that's in there that is um, about spiritual growth and about connection, about whatever, then all you've just done is said a bunch of words, Right. So right. I think your point's well taken. And I think, again, it goes back to this idea between the connection between behavior and attitude and a spiritual bypass. 
suggests that there are people out there or we're experiencing a spiritual bypass when we only do the behavior. You get up, you, you know, dance with Scooter, you throw Scooter to the side, you race out the door, you go, thanks, cat, and you move on with your life, right? Yeah. Like, what is spiritual about that? Nothing, right. really, right. right? It's just a thing you're doing, right. right? Right. It's the attitude, though, around that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really important. And I think what Jack Canfield's saying is that it doesn't matter whether you're present in the moment when you're doing it. The fact that you're actually doing it creates the possibility for presence. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think so. I mm-hmm. think so. On that mystery note, we'll, we'll have to speak with Mr. Canfield and discover what that might be. <laughs> um, we're out of time already. Uh, thanks, Jan. Thanks, Gordo. Okay. Um, We will be back next week, and uh, we are wishing you all a fabulous week as the spring is springing everywhere, sprung and springing everywhere, and we're heading on into summer pretty soon. And uh, we hope that you enjoy the weather and not spiritually bypass, but enjoy your spiritual practices. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.